Why choose a Sleep Number Smart Bed? Because no two people sleep the same. Only the Sleep Number Smart Bed lets you each choose your individual firmness and comfort your Sleep Number setting. The Climate 360 Smart Bed is so smart, it actively cools or warms up to 13 degrees on either side for your ideal sleep temperature. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed, plus free home delivery when you add an adjustable base. Ends Monday. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com. On this episode, I interview Dr. Vanessa Lapointe, a registered psychologist, about her book, Discipline Without Damage, and the connection between behavior and child development. I would say that consequence and punishment focus on, so if we talk about the ABCs of behavior, the A is the antecedent, the thing that comes before the behavior, the B is the behavior, and the C is the consequence or the thing that comes after the behavior. When you're talking about consequencing and punishing, you're focusing on the C, the thing that comes after the behavior. And what we know from the science of child development really is that our job is to focus on development. Hi, and welcome to the Parentologist Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kim. The Parentologist Podcast is a show about everything parenting with a therapeutic twist. Each episode focuses on a variety of relatable topics, including parenting, family, children, relationships, mental health, and pop culture. Hear from a variety of medical professionals, psychological experts, authors, celebrities, and other parents with inspiring stories. You'll feel like you're in the same room with your friends getting all of your questions answered. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll learn, and you'll have fun. Dr. Vanessa, thank you so much for being here today. It's so lovely to see you. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. I am too. I, I've had your book for a little while now, and I've been reading any any chance I get to have a second off from parenting and working myself. I read your book. Um, I'm so inspired by it. It's called Discipline Without Damage, How to Get Your Kids to Behave Without Messing Them Up. I mean, just the title alone is intriguing as it is. Um, so we're going to dive into that a little bit more today about what that actually looks like. Um, so, and then we'll tell people where to buy it because I highly recommend it and I want everyone to go get a copy of it if, if they're in the parenting um, phase right now too. So the first chapter talks about what discipline is and what discipline is not. Can you mm -hmm. go into that a little bit more about how you define discipline and what it is and what it isn't? Yeah, that's such a great question. And the idea of discipline, I mean, it comes up so regularly in my line of work, as I'm sure is the same for you. And what I have observed over the years is that oftentimes what we think is discipline actually leads to a lot of fallout for kids. So typically parents are coming to me because of behavioral challenges and anxiety and those kinds of things in their children. And then I will ask about the discipline side of things and realize, oh, it's actually the discipline that's causing the problematic behavior and causing the anxiety, which really brings us to the core of the question. So then what is discipline? And I will say discipline is not a focus on our children's behavior. Mm because our children will behave the way that they do for extraordinary reasons that we ought not to shut down. First amongst those would be that they're growing little humans 
and exactly. they don't have fully mature brains. And so of course they're going to melt down and react and have tantrums and bite and hit and throw and do all of the things. Um, the second would be that a lot of the way that we approach discipline involves a component of relational rupture or separation. So you put a child in timeout, you are literally shutting yourself off from them in terms of the relationship, which is their most essential need. Even when you reward a child for something, there's a component of a relational rupture because the opposite of getting a reward is not getting a reward. And imagine if your husband said to you, oh, like you don't, you don't get to have coffee this morning because you weren't very nice to me yesterday. It doesn't inspire you. No, you not at all. You don't feel inspired to love him and be, be more <laughs> calm and more peaceful in your interactions the next day. Probably that's going to inspire you to light it up a little yeah, bit. Exactly. So to circle back around, what is discipline? Discipline has very little to do with, with us shining a spotlight on the behaviors of our children and everything to do with shining a spotlight on the behaviors of us as adults and parents and how it is that we are supporting our children's growth and development. Wow. And, and I think a lot of parents don't know, they're, they're not educated on what that is. And like you said, it, sometimes it can cause the actual behaviors, the meltdowns, the anxiety, and, and all those things that come with, you know, childhood, you know, behaviors. Um, but they're not realizing that they're the ones that are maybe causing it or making, making it harder on themselves. And mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, the things that I try to do online and my blog on my podcast is educate parents on these things. So they know, oh, I sh maybe there's a different way. Because I think a lot of times when we parent our own children, it's because of things that we learned because of our own parents that are parenting us, you know, and how we grew up. And that's just, just how it is. So a question on this, just to kind of decipher the difference between discipline, consequence, and punishment. In in my line of work, and I'm not sure if you get it on, on, in, in your practice, that those terms are used somewhat interchangeably. Right. So is there a difference between those? And if so, what what are they? I would say that consequence and punishment focus on. So if we talk about the ABCs of behavior, the A is the antecedent, the thing that comes before the behavior. The B is the behavior and the C is the consequence or the thing that comes after the behavior. When you're talking about consequencing and punishing, you're focusing on the C, the thing that comes after the behavior. And what we know from the science of child development really is that our job is to focus on development. Right. And development can be appropriately placed in the category of antecedents. It's the thing that comes before the behavior. The thing that came before you bit that other kid at daycare is that you're two. <laughs> <laughs> right. And our job then, it, rather than going to the consequence uh, and punishing side of things, uh, would be to stay in our lane as developmentalists to understand what it is that children need in their environment to grow. So, so we retreat to the environment. And by the way, we're in charge of the environment. So that's entirely on us to do. We retreat to the environment and we really dive into what kinds of conditions will be conducive to growth for this child. And when we can view them through a lens of development, understanding that children are children by design, they have immature brains, they're not yet fully grown, they cannot self-regulate, you know, all of the pieces that come with that. And we can be really compassionate around all of that. We can step in with the appropriate amount of firm and kind 
operating at the same time to um, allow our children to be who it is that they are and also to shine a light on the path that will continue to allow them to become the best version of themselves as they travel through childhood and on into adulthood. Right. Um, and I think even just the antecedent alone, there's so much to learn about that on what what motivates a child's behavior and parents to look for those things before the behavior even occurs. And a lot of times you can be preventative with that, right? I mean, if you deny access a child something, you know, a TV, a snack or whatever it is that they, that they desire, um, and you know that's going to be a trigger, but that could set it off, you know. So learning those that antecedent, I think, is also very important. I'm sure we could have a whole. We we think so much alike. <laughs> I feel like yeah. um, you know, we have similar, you know, clientele and whatnot, and the similar things that come up in our practice. Um, it reminds me of a story the other night. Actually, just came to me of my six year old son. And they just started summer break. So they're on a different shift. You know, he was used to being, you know, school every day and now he's off and he's kind of just in you know, his own world right now. He barely will get out of his pajamas, which is cute. But I'm I like, we need to go to the store, you know? Um, so the other night we were up late watching a movie and then he just started getting a little hyper. And then all of a sudden he went to just a full meltdown crying. And I, I said, oh, my husband actually reacted first. And he said, why are you acting like this? Like, you know, this this is not okay. Cause he was like throwing things and, you know, doing all the things six-year-old little boys do when they're exhausted and they want to go to bed. And, um, my husband just innately went to that side of, do you want a consequence? Or if you keep this up, you're going to get a consequence and kind of almost, you know, threatening if you will. And I turned to him and I said, he's just tired. This is normal. This is how he just acts when he's tired. And my husband almost had this light bulb go off in his, and he's a clinical psychologist, right? But he has this, right? You would think that we have all the tools and, you know, but, you know, he works with adults and he works with couples and it's very different mindset, I think. And it's different to implement what you learn as, let's say, a psychologist or a therapist, you know, in your own line of work versus with your own children, right? It's a word to your mother. <laughs> <laughs> so it, both of us being in the therapy field, people think, oh, you must have the best marriage. And I'm like, no, no. Like, you know everything we're supposed to do, but do we do it? No. And same as parenting. People probably think I'm, you know, even yourself, like, oh, you must be like the greatest parents and have all the answers and your kids probably never melt down. And it's not true. Like they're still kids and we're just still parents who are humans doing the best we can. So That's just- right putting it out there for anyone who's also struggling. Like we're, you know, we're not the yeah. gurus in our own parents. Right. Keeping it real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, but I did, I, I said, you know, I, he's just tired. Let me put him to bed and, you know, and, and then it was fine. Um, but for the parents out there, not trying to throw my husband under the bus, but I think that just happens a lot. I think it happens sure. where we're at our wits end. We're also tired. We've had a long day for whatever that, you know, was working, you know, doing the dishes, the laundry, paying the bills. Our, our mental load is just on fire. And when our kids act up, I think it just sets us off and it triggers mm -hmm. us. If we start acting up and our innate responses will go to your room. You're going to get a timeout or in punishing them almost or giving them the consequence like that. Um, in Why choose a Sleep Number Smart Bed? Because no two people sleep the same. Only the Sleep Number Smart Bed lets you each choose your individual firmness and comfort your Sleep Number setting. The Climate 360 Smart Bed is so smart, it actively cools or warms up to 13 degrees on either side for your ideal sleep temperature. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed, plus free home delivery when you add an adjustable base. Ends Monday. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. To find a store near you, visit Sleep number.com instead of you know 
really finding out what the problem is. But do you find that a lot that parents just jump to that? That's kind of like our natural response. When oh, our kids yeah. And I think for two reasons, which also explains why people like you and I do that with our own children, even though we write the books and we know all of the things <laughs> that we've done, the graduate degrees and everything else. The first is that, and it's a beautiful quote from Dr. Dan Siegel, who said, the environment creates the mind, then the mind creates the environment, which means that when you're a child, the environment that you lived in, so for us as parents, if we think back to when we were children, the environment that we lived in created our minds. Then we grew up, at least in form, (laughs) and became adults. And the mind that was formed for us in our childhood is now creating the environment around us in adulthood. In that environment lives our children. And so you will parent as you were parented. Even if you swear up and down that you won't, even if you go and do all the graduate degrees, even if you read all the books, even if you're a practicing uh, professional in the parenting sphere, you will parent as you were parented. There are still times right now when I hear my mother come out my mouth, and, I, and my mother's lovely. And my mother was a parent in the 1970s. It was right. different. Right. And so when I, when I hear that, I'm like, oh, check this out. <laughs> like that, that stuff's bananas because you cannot but help yourself to go to the knee jerk. The other thing that happens when our children are, you know, acting out and getting loud and things are getting interesting, we often become activated ourselves. And when we're in an emotionally activated state ourselves, we are dysregulated. And by definition, we regress. So we're not our big grown-up adult shiny selves who <laughs> remember all of the things that we've read in all of the books. We are, you know, essentially a, a six-year-old alongside our six-year-old. Yep. And we start to get reactive. So we go back to those knee-jerk things because we're not using our thinking brain in that moment. We're using our emotional brain, our limbic systems to parent. And and then it gets interesting. Yeah. And we often carnage to clean up after the fact. <laughs> yeah, lots of power struggles and, you know, all the things. And sometimes I need to give myself a timeout because it's an out of self experience, really. Because like you said, you'll hear something come, come out of your mouth. I'll hear something coming out of my mouth. And I'm thinking to myself, that's not what I wanted to say. That's not how I should be reacting. But it still comes out. And then my kids are already crying and I'm yelling and you know, it just, it happens sometimes, you know, it's, it's normally when I'm super stressed or if I didn't get a good night's sleep the night before, if I'm not self-caring, like it's, it's all, so we'll talk about that a little bit later about how to keep or try our best to stay in those mindsets. But you also mentioned something else that I think is interesting and, you know, that we both had parents that, you know, we grew up in the seventies and eighties. And, and so we had these, you know, parents in those generations and things are so different now, obviously. Right. And things yeah. like, you know, mindful parenting, gentle parenting, conscious parenting are kind of a new age thing. It's, it's a new generational concept, parenting concept. So in parenting style. So how does that affect, you know, the people that are probably listening to this right now are probably, you know, sim- we're parented to in a similar way. And how do we kind of shift that mindset to start parenting in a more conscious, gentle way that, you know, does invite more connection than disconnection with our kids? Well, that's not what yeah. we're used to. No. And what's, you know, interesting about all of that is that we, it really does invite us to grow ourselves alongside growing our children. Because you cannot parent anew. You cannot parent differently than you were parented truly if you don't actually crack the vault open and see what is lurking beneath the surface and understand, you know, the 
the kinds of wounds that you will have brought forward um, from your own childhood that you are now, you know, leaking out onto your children. We, we have to do the work to understand what's underneath the surface for us and um, proceed from there accordingly. When we don't do that work, and I wonder if you've had similar experiences, because I, I you know, would probably be viewed as somebody who um, is about conscious parenting and about respectful parenting and gentle parenting and attachment-based parenting and all of the, you know, new age approaches to parenting. Certainly, I, I speak the language of all of those things 100%. And what I have discovered is that a lot of the time, the people who ascribe to that, not all of them, but several, who ascribe to those parenting philosophies are doing so from a wounded place, which I know in saying that I've just triggered like 80% of your listeners, but hear me <laughs> out the rest of the way. And I was one of them. That's, that's how I can really get how that could feel. We're, it's sort of a, we don't want to wreck our kids and we don't want to do to our children what was maybe done to us or what was maybe done to our parents when they were children. We want to fix all of that. And we come into it with that kind of a lens. We don't want to wreck them. We want to fix them. You can hear the fear in all of that. What it leads to is a lot of um, I talk about the parenting mountain and how you to stay at the peak of that mountain, you have to be balanced by equal but opposite forces. Uh, one force being kind, to be full of compassion and de be developmentally oriented and all those things. The other force being um, firm, because that makes our children feel safe and it lets them know that the guardrails are secured on the bridge and they won't fall off and we're there for them to help them uh, get life sorted out. The challenge is you come into all of this kind of parenting stuff, this new age parenting, um, and a lot of us are, we default to the kind side because we think it's our job to not upset our children, to not ever have our children cry, to not ever have our children be angry about a boundary that we held or a rule that we held or an expectation that we held onto. And so it's a slippery slope down that side of the mountain. And you can really turn into this parent who has twisted yourself into a pretzel to try and keep your child happy. And meanwhile, you've gone to pieces and you're overwhelmed and you're guilt ridden and you're all of those kinds of things. And it doesn't feel very good. So to really be able to understand that in ascribing to those um, ideas about parenting, uh, which are uh, primarily rooted in the science of child development. There's a lot of scientific data to support why it's important to parent through these connection-based ways. When we ascribe to that, we have to understand the broader picture and know that even as gentle, respectful, conscious parents, um, our, our woundedness is probably, um, you know, commanding the show and it's upon us to grow ourselves in order to be able to really be present to the growing of our children. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Uh, we're going to come right back in just a moment and we're going to be talking about why things like uh, a timeout, reward charts, and things like that may not be the best thing to get into and why there's other options that might be better. We'll be right back. Dr. Vanessa, you spoke a little bit earlier about um, the connection piece and about uh, gentle parenting and, um, you know, the, the new way, the new parenting styles, which I ascribe to as well. That's, that's what I, you know, try to achieve, you know, it's showing children empathy, showing them, um, respect, validation. Um, but 
I have parents that come to me and say, but does it really work? Like they come from the mindset of kids need boundaries, kids need discipline, kids need, (laughs) or they won't respect you. When they become teenagers, they're going to walk all over you. How do you respond to those parents that don't really ascribe or maybe even believe in these new types of parenting styles that they think it doesn't work or it's a little hokey or that kids really won't respect you in the long run if you do it? Because do they really get and ever get in trouble or, you know? How do you you respond to to those parents and what advice do you have? Yeah, you know, I'll start by um, talking about a uh, a phenomenon um, first brought to us in in the wise work of Otto Rank, where he talked about this concept of counter will. And counter will is this instinct to do the exact opposite of what is being asked of you. Because we are a social species, and because you know there's there's good and bad out in the world, we are in, instinctually driven to fall into line with the people that we feel safe around, and to really resist guidance from the people that we don't feel safe around. And so it's a little like a teeter totter. If resistance is high, um, pardon me. If attachment is high or connection is high, then resistance will be low. But if attachment or connection are low, resistance is going to be high. And that really brings us kind of into this concept of connected parenting in terms of not wanting to inspire counterwill in our children, not wanting for them to rebel and do the opposite of what it is that we are asking of them. Instead, to create an experience where they feel safe to lean into our guidance and actually desire to lean into our guidance. And then when we really understand, you know, through the work of John Bowlby and uh, Edward Tronick, uh, who created the still face paradigm, we really get that when children are connected, emotionally speaking, with their caregivers, they are regulated and sorted. And when children are disconnected, emotionally speaking, from their caregivers, they are dysregulated and not sorted. And from a developmental perspective, over time, via something that's called Hebb's Law in neuropsychology, neurons that fire together, wire together. So that's the principle of neuroplasticity. And the more experiences our children have of being like really dysregulated, and then we calm them and settle them through connection, and then they get really dysregulated and we calm them and settle them through connection, maybe 150 times a day if you have an infant, maybe you know, 82 times a day if you have a toddler, maybe 20 times a day if you have a preschool age child. We're just constantly, for, for thousands and thousands of repetitions, they fire up and we calm them. They fire up and we calm them. Over time, what that grows into is the manifestation of the capacity to be self-regulated from the inside. And that means you can manage your behaviors. It means you can make good choices. It means that as a grown-up, you will be able to um, deal with your anger in appropriate ways. You'll be, you'll probably be a lot more successful in relationship. And so when we think about it from that way, it actually is heaps easier to parent and raise children when they feel like it's safe to lean into your guidance because they kind of like you and they feel like you're, you're a kind-hearted human. Um, my boys are 16 and 19 now. 
And uh, at least in my care, I'm I'm divorced from their father, and so that's been an interesting co-parenting journey as well. They they have been parented in this kind of way. I never have to threaten my boys, and they're teenagers and young adults. You know, my son's just home from his first year of university. I can't even believe I'm saying that. And they so they go out with their friends and they spread their wings and they're doing all of their things. And I they they desire to be in right relationship with me. They would never do anything that was contrary to, you know, the the sort of rules and limits that I have laid out for them as a parent. They just really want to be in right relationship with me. And there's no fear in that. It's an instinct for them. Their instinct is to do my bidding. And, you know, every now and then something will happen. What my son was just telling me last night, my 16-year-old son, that he got into the car of um, a friend of his from school a couple of weeks ago. His, this, this boy's parents have just gifted him his first car, which happens to be a very um, expensive sports car. And they were off to pick up a friend of theirs to drive him back to whatever sports practice. And um, that while he was in the car, this boy put the pedal to the metal and in a, you know, in a 50 zone, had the car up to 200 kilometers an hour. And my son was like, yeah, so I just wanted you to know about that. And I'm never getting in a car with that person ever again. I didn't have to threaten him and put the fear of God into him. There was no big like blowback about you made such a terrible decision that what were you thinking? All of those kinds of, he just, it was an easy conversation and off we were to the next thing because there's just no intensity around it. So that's, you know, that's what it looks like. It makes it easy for our children to come to us with the hard things. Their first instinct is call mom, tell mom, she'll know what to do. Call dad, tell dad, he's going to know what to do. Rather than having them run for cover and being molded by fear, they're open and approachable and keen to interact and discuss and, you know, and adjust their approach if maybe that's a helpful kind of thing. So my experience of it, both personally and professionally, is that it leads to the best kind of outcomes. Yeah. And that's such a great way to to describe it. But let's go to the flip side. If a parent does parent in a way that focuses a lot on instilling fear, punishment, things like that, what happens to that child? You know, what are some of the ramifications that that happen to a child that grows up in, in that type of environment? Yeah. Well, a few things. We know from the literature that the rates of anxiety will be a lot higher, and that usually begins by the time they're around 13 or 14 years of age. Uh, and that has been um, uh, connected back to parenting styles when they were six and seven years of age. And so we know the link between that kind of what I would term behaviorist parenting, where you're really focused on squashing and molding behaviors rather than on inspiring and growing um, brains and hearts. Um, and, and, and also, you know, I have huge heart for people that feel like that is the way to go. I think that if we were to really deeply understand the stories that motivate that kind of parenting, those are stories that would bring all of us to our knees because they would be sad and, uh, and kind of devastating in the light of the research and understanding that we have about that um, today. And so we know that um, mood-based disorders are a lot higher in those kinds of children. We know that they go underground. 
And so you're fooling yourselves if you think that your children out of fear are going to behave all the rules or mind all of the rules. They're just going to find ways to break the rules and not get caught. And then what happens is they end up in my office, usually because they're anxious. And I have, I mean, I could, I have hundreds of stories of teens that have sat on this very couch right where I'm sitting right now. And they tell me like horrific things that have happened to them, that they've been sexually assaulted or that they, you know, witnessed something that was really traumatic or that they're, they're failing out of school and haven't attended in six months, but haven't told their parents, you know, like things things that you would never want your child to go through alone. And then I say to them, and they disclose that to me, I feel safe to them. So they disclose to me. And then I say to them, why is it that you've never told your parents? And nine times out of 10, they haven't told their parents because they're afraid of the reaction. We don't want to shut our children off from us. We want to have them lean into us and come to us and feel that we are their best bet, that we are, we are safe. We can contain and hold all of those things for them. There's nothing they could ever say, think, or do that would exceed the capacity that we have to hold space for them and to be at their back and to, to provide that soft landing because life can get a little bumpy and rough at times. And when you parent through a behaviorist lens, you end up shutting your children off from you in so many different ways. It, it runs the risk of creating longer term emotional fallout. Um, and in general, there'll just be a lot for them to recover from that was unnecessary. Right. Right. Wow. It's just, um, I, I don't even have a response for that because it, you just said it in such a beautiful way that uh, mm-hmm. it's just, I think it's going to help so many parents out there. So thank you for all of your wisdom that you just shared. Um, you couldn't have said it in a better way. Um, earlier, I teased a little bit about something that's in your book, about timeouts, reward charts, consequences, grounding, removal of privilege, and why those are sometimes our go-tos, including myself. I've definitely gone gone to those as my first my first go-to um, when my child's acting up and, and why connection is better. I know we've kind of talked about that this this whole time, but if you have anything to add on that, um, I, I would love mm-hmm. to hear it, just why the connection is so important and, and how we can get there. Maybe some quick tip tools on how parents yeah. can take a moment after their child's acting up and maybe not act impulsively in a response, but maybe take a moment, take a step back, think about how they want to handle it and how they can handle it more in a connection way. What does that look like? Yeah. So we know from the moment a child arrives in the world as a newborn baby, they will open their little eyes and blearily look around the room until they find another pair of eyes. And as soon as they find that pair of eyes, they will lock eyes with you in that sort of seven mile stare that babies will do. And you get this like this big dump of oxytocin into your own body, which um, creates this groundswell of emotion in you that you instantaneously decide you would leap tall buildings in a single bound and jump in front of moving trains for this kid because they looked at you. Right. So that's the power of connection. And babies know instinctively to find eyes when they're born because they know they need the connection, that that connection is their best bet for finding their way through this thing called life. So we know connection is at the heart of everything. What happened, um, you know, through a big parenting movement sort of in the 1950s and that continues to present day, that we began to use 
the child's need for connection against them in order to control behavior. So let's go to the timeout as an example. I was trained as a doctoral student in the art of the timeout, which was you put a child in a space separate from you and you remove yourself from them, not only physically, but also emotionally. If you were ever um, uh, years ago in television, there was a show called, um, well, her name was Nanny Joe. I can't remember what the oh, show was called. Yes. Super I, yeah, Super Nanny. Yes. Yeah. She commented on one of my posts last week. And oh, I thought wow. about what I had posted, which I thought was awesome. I felt I have really made it. Like, <laughs> Nanny Joe is taking issue with me. I have arrived, y'all. Like, I'm on the scene. So um, you put the child away from you physically, and you also withdraw emotional connection. So they get no attention from you, i.e. they get no attachment from you. And magically, they fall into line. And so then parents are like, why would we not do that? It totally works. Here's the thing. Here's why it worked. It worked because the child instinctively knows that you are their heir. Human babies die in the absence of relational connection. You can water, clothe, and feed them. If you do not love on them, to some extent, they will die. And we have lots of, of horrific examples of that from our history. So it is their heir, and you have just taken their heir away from them. They will do anything to reestablish access to their heir, including shelving their own development and their own reactivity. That naturally occurs because they're children. So, yeah, it worked. But the question to ask is, at what cost? You see, you can get a swift reaction when you withdraw connection from a child because you take their air away from them, and it's a sacrificial play. You have sacrificed their development to secure good behavior. And what is good behavior anyways? Is it bad behavior when an infant cries? Do we call that bad behavior, or do we call that being an infant? And following from that, is it bad behavior when a two-year-old bites, when a four-year-old has a tantrum, when a nine-year-old has a tantrum as though they're four years old because they're tired and hungry and have had a long week at school? Do we call it bad behavior or do we call it being human and communicating that we're not okay right now and we have this need, right? And so it's a sacrificial play to use breaks in connection to try and secure good behavior. And also the aim of that is probably misplaced from the beginning because good behavior isn't even a thing for young children. All of that in mind, if you then go to, so we use timeout, which is easy to understand the rupture because it's a, a physical and emotional separation. Um, if you go to consequences, how do you come up with that zinger of a consequence that you know is gonna work? Okay. The way you come up with it is because you know your kid you know that Roblox is their favorite thing in the whole world. And now you're taking it away from them. That's like your husband knowing that coffee is your favorite thing in the whole world. And now he takes it away from you. This does not inspire emotional regulation. This does not inspire a more healthy relationship interactions down the road. This inspires quite the opposite. So consequences have at their core that relational rupture. Same with, with a removal of privileges. How do you come up with the privilege that you're removing? You come up with it because you're in an intimate relationship with your child and you know what makes their world go around and now you're going to take it away from them. Ha! I'll show you, right? Yep. Yep. And then we go to reward systems and the seedy underbelly of the reward system is that it's a not reward system. 
My youngest son, who's dyslexic and has a hearing impairment, had to come out of school at the end of his grade one year. Why? Because he developed so much performance-based anxiety due to the reading chart on the wall in his classroom, upon which not only did he not have any stars, he had negative stars because he had started acting out because he didn't know how to read and was embarrassed about all of that. And so it created this whole big fallout. And then he started throwing up, not once a day, but several times a day. And then he ruptured his uh, uh, part of his gastroesophageal tract and had to come out of school for three months to recover. Oh my gosh. Oh my and I'm a child psychologist. I just want to punctuate that for everybody. But that happened to my child. So it, so all of those things can happen to all of us. And it, and all because of a star chart. And right. the mentality behind the star chart. That's Don't the get me started. I have my son's kindergarten class this last year had the, the red, the green, the blue. And they yeah, would no. get sent home with a yellow card because they did something very developmentally normal that day. But it didn't make the teacher feel good. So she consequenced in front of the entire class with this yellow oh, sheet. And oh. they moved their clip down and, and and kids were getting anxiety from it. Kids that weren't even yeah. getting in trouble because they were scared that they would get in trouble. So yeah, that's yeah. a whole nother podcast episode, but yeah, it's, it's horrific. <laughs> I hate it. That I hate <laughs> I'll put it out there right now. Um, and it reminds me, you're talking about the, the disconnection with attachment, um, the still face experiment. Have you seen that? Oh gosh. Oh, many if times. anyone hasn't seen the still face experiment, you can, you know, Google it and look it up. It's, it's, it's hard for, I think parents, it was hard for me to watch. It's very hard, but I used to show it in some of my classes that I would, you know, teach and play therapy and parent-child therapy and developmental therapy um, classes. And my students would just start bawling in their, their in class because it's yeah. and when you remove that that emotional connection and that attachment from your child, and just to see anyway, it just oh, it breaks my heart. But but it's true. So how can we get to that connection phase or how can a parent, and I know we're running out of time. I feel like you have so much knowledge. So if everyone you know, wants more, please go pick up Dr. Venice's book. But last question, um, just some quick tips on maybe how we can get to that connection. Like what can a parent yeah. do or do we need to do some more self-care to kind of get ourselves more regulated and how can we do that? What's what's your, your biggest yeah. tip on that? I mean, I really do think keeping ourselves regulated is going to be key to anything that I'm about to say. I love my colleague in Australia, Maggie Dent, who's a parent educator and the queen of common sense, they call her. And Maggie talks about taking a parental pause. So just like take a breath and ground yourself and count to 10. Yes. <laughs> taking a breath, you know, until you feel like you're back in your body so that you can respond appropriately. My, what I encourage parents to do in the Discipline Without Damage book and in my work um, is I have nine stepping stones towards really, you know, guiding development without um, derailing it. And I'll share with you sort of the first few so that you can get a sense of what it looks and feels like. The first is when a child is struggling, it is our job not to join the struggle, but to be around it on the outside and hold space for it. So you respond with relationship. That means that you, you become a commentator of emotion. So I start the book actually with a story about when my son was three and punched me in the face in front of a whole bunch of um, other moms at a play place where he was dysregulated. And the idea is to go to the emotion, to, to side with the child, even if you can't side with the behavior. You're really upset right now. It's so hard when there's so many kids. I really come with me, we're gonna go get a drink of water, da 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 da. So I'm connecting. At the same time, and here's another um, uh, tip, is to flag drop. 
And you cannot, when a child has flipped their lid, which we know will have happened because they're engaged in challenging behaviors, it's right in front of our eyes that they are lid flipped, they're not able to think. And so this is not the time to come at them with a bunch of language. And it is the time to drop a flag real quick to let them know they've just run into a boundary and you're holding on. Right. So when my son punched me, I wasn't like, just keep going, son, get it all out. <laughs> that would be terrifying to him. Because he's literally, you know, biting the hand that feeds. And so instead, what I do is a flag drop. A flag drop is five words or less. Gentle hands. And I say it forcefully. I'm not angry. And I'm really letting you know with a lot of swagger and a lot of alpha that this is not on. And if he were to have continued hitting, instead of scooping him up forwards, I would have scooped him up backwards with his little limbs facing away from me. Um, Not to protect me, to protect him so that he doesn't have the fear of having bit the hand that feeds. So do a flag drop. And then the third would be, as they go high, you stay low, which means that they're, and you're not joining in on that. You're, You're like the therapist in your therapist voice. You're really upset right now. I'm right here. I got you. We're going to get through this. Just take a breath. Oh, more hits. Okay. We're just going to take a moment. Gentle hands. Yep. Take a breath. And, you know, when we can walk through with those kinds of things, you'll see very quickly, there's no, there's no like tricks. There's no, you know, I don't have a toolkit of like (laughs) all of these things that you need to remember. What I always tell people is I'm going to give you these nine stepping stones, but you don't actually need to know them because the doing, how you're going to respond to your child actually will flow from your being what it is that you have created and set up as your internal state. And when your internal state is one of compassion, one that's developmentally oriented, so you understand that kids are kids, one that is really focused on connection as the way through, when you've got all that going on, you don't even need to read my book. Right. <laughs> I mean, do you- <laughs> just have it funny just in case. <clears throat> that's right. The doing flows from the being. I love that. I love that. And you said it in such an articulate way that I feel like parents can actually conceptualize and understand. You know, it's not this theoretical scientific way or like you said, a million things you have to remember. Like it's, it's, you just said it so beautifully. Where can people find this book so they can purchase it? And where can they find you online? Yeah. So if people want to go, I mean, anywhere the books are sold, you can find that book. And my second book, Parenting Right from the Start, uh, Amazon, all of the book uh, retailers have that. You can also go to my website, Dr. Vanessa Lapointe, Dr. Vanessa Lapointe with an E on the end.com. I have links through to uh, the book on the website, as well as all of my online courses. I do have a self-guided um, seven-week-long online course on the Discipline Without Damage um, philosophy. And I am very active on social media, on both Instagram and uh, Facebook. It's uh, Dr. Vanessa Lapointe. I love it. Thank you, Dr. Vanessa, for everything today. And I've never heard, um, you know, this type of parenting style um, described in the way you did today. You know, you just said it so beautifully. So thank you for just, again, all of your wisdom and all of your information in this book. And I really hope parents go out and get it because you just have such great advice and and, and such encouragement for for parents out there that are struggling and needs, need a new way to to possibly parent their children. So thank you. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been great to chat with you. Thank you for joining me today. I cannot wait for you to listen to more episodes. If you are a new listener, I recommend starting at my best of year one episode first. Then make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. And when you love an episode, please leave a review. 
And if you want to stay connected between episodes, please visit me on social media at The Parentologist and on my blog at theparentologist.com. This podcast is not intended to be a replacement for therapy. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call 911. Why choose a Sleep Number smart bed? Because no two people sleep the same. Only the Sleep Number smart bed lets you each choose your individual firmness and comfort your Sleep Number setting. The Climate 360 smart bed is so smart, it actively cools or warms up to 13 degrees on either side for your ideal sleep temperature. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Special Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com.